Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I heard in the news this past week that two of our astronauts did a spacewalk to repair an antenna on the International Space Station, and so I even went and, and watched for a few minutes the six-hour YouTube recording of it. And I sat there and I marveled at trying to imagine what that must be like to be floating in space trying to accomplish an important task surrounded by nothing and everything, <laughs> the whole universe. It reminded me of a presentation that I saw several years ago at Gloria Day Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas, where Colonel Jeffrey Williams was a member. Now, you might know that Colonel Williams is a committed Christian and a record-breaking astronaut, and he actually wrote a book that's been published by Concordia Publishing House, the title of which is The Work of His Hands, A View of God's Creation from Space. When he was on the space station for six months in 2006, he orbited the Earth 2,800 times and took more photographs than any astronaut in history, a man after my own heart. He wrote in the cover of this book, every view from the window of the space station contains countless vivid visions about the meticulous goodness of God's care for His creation and His welcome, His wisdom in ordering the universe. Now, we are trying to learn to do poetry this Advent by looking at the Psalms. And poetry begs you to turn on your imagination. Psalm 66, which you heard read a few moments ago, bears the ancient label to the choir master which means that it was written for the public worship of God's Old Testament people, perhaps for the celebration of the Passover where thousands upon thousands of people crowded into the city of Jerusalem and the atmosphere became electric. You could feel the energy pulsating through the crowds. And so the psalm begins, shout for joy all of the earth. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. And so that's the destination for us this morning, that God's awesome deeds would draw out of us a shout of joy this Advent season. Now, I enjoy listening to radio shows like Science Friday and, and Hidden Brain they explore the beauty and the mystery and the intricacy of the universe. And I find it absolutely fascinating to hear about things that we know and that we are still discovering as we stare out into the depths of space and peer into the narrow network of the human brain. But I almost always find myself smiling at some point at what in my humble opinion, is the naive notion that it is all simply a cosmic accident. Now, I've lost track 
of how many science fiction movies I've watched about outer space and inner space and superheroes, because Hollywood's ability to picture those things tickles my imagination, and I find myself thinking, where did all of those fantastic ideas come from? And if I would simply put away my skeptical, cynical, 21st century American attitude for a moment, my heart would begin to swell with excitement and fear at the very idea of a God who created and sustains surely more than we can even imagine. So great is your power, the psalmist writes, that your enemies come cringing to you. So please mark these words carefully. For this is not a domesticated, tame God who you can keep as a pet. In C.S. Lewis's children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the saving figure of God is portrayed as a mighty and fearsome lion named Aslan. And at one point in the story, one of the children asks, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Of course not, but he's good. Now, I thought about trying to darken the room this morning and find some public domain images to flash on the screen, maybe even some of Colonel Williams' pictures. But here's what I know as a photographer, they never do justice to the real thing. And the fact of the matter is, I know for certain that your imagination is bigger than those little white squares on the wall. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. Now compressed into three little verses, five, six, and seven, is the whole story of God's salvation. If I was a filmmaker, there would now be a cut scene here where we would flash back to a man named Abraham somehow in a moment experiencing the real presence of the creating, sustaining God of the universe saying to him, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to all of the nations on the earth. And then I would flash forward quickly through Isaac and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, whose descendants wound up as slaves in Egypt for 400 plus years. Can you imagine the teenagers of the eighth generation of slaves? Now, no offense to you young people, it's just that I've observed that you're not always the best at waiting for things. Hearing about a promise that was made to your great, 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 great-grandpa Abraham that someday one of his descendants would come and make the world right again seems, well, well, impossible. In 2 Peter, only a couple of decades 
after Jesus had ascended back into heaven, promising to come again in glory, Peter, who was one of Jesus' first followers, had to write down these words for people. Scoffers will come in the last of days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is his promised coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all creation continues as they were from the beginning of creation. And then Peter writes, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I am pretty sure that by the time Moses showed up on the scene, there were as many scoffers as there are today. And then the impossible happened. The most powerful nation on the earth was brought to its knees by God and in a dying gasp tried to stop God from rescuing his people. And there on the shores of the Red Sea, our awesome God turned the sea into dry land, the psalmist says. And the people passed through, and the armies of Egypt were drowned. And then for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness as God sought to teach them over and over and over and over again to fear and love and trust in him above all things. And then, as if to remind them of that miraculous Red Sea experience, God did it again. And the waters of the Jordan River stopped and piled up behind the mighty hand of God, and they passed passed through the river on foot, and they marched into the promised land. But don't you know that all of that was only the preview? That was the two-and-a-half-minute trailer at the movie theater to whet our appetites for the bigger, grander, more glorious plan to rescue not one tiny little nation, but all people of all time. For you see, humanity is enslaved to sin. Now, when Jesus told the religious people of his day that, they balked. And they, they said, we've never been slaves to anyone. How dare you make us confess every week that we are by nature sinful and unclean? And Jesus calmly pointed out that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So my friends, unless you have managed a perfect week... In every thought, every word, and every deed, you probably ought to sit up and pay attention. Because if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we had time this morning, I would line you all up and I would march you out to the baptismal font. 
because that water is our Red Sea moment. It is in the water of your baptism that God has led you through on dry ground and your enemies of sin and death and the devil are drowned in the wake. Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too now live a new life? And on the other side of your baptism is your life in the wilderness, which is right now. Learning every, through every up and down of your life to somehow fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And then at the very end, those who have believed and have clung to Jesus for their ongoing daily forgiveness of sins and little glimpses of his glory along the way will finally cross over our Jordan into our promised land of the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus comes again. How does the old spiritual go? I looked over Jordan and what did I see coming for to carry me home? A band of angels coming after me. God's awesome deeds draw out our shouts of Advent joy. But just in case you're bored, unless you imagine that such joy is just pie in the sky by and by, our psalm turns now and becomes profoundly realistic. Tested like silver, caught in a net, crushed under a burden, ridden over. God's awesome deeds in our lives reach all of the way down into the struggles and into the sufferings of everyday life lived in a broken world surrounded by broken people. We sat in a meeting this past week where we were asked to spend a few minutes reflecting on those moments in our lives when we grew and developed in our relationship with God. And not surprisingly, there were some mountaintop moments that were described, but you know what? Perhaps even more common were the Death Valley experiences of life. Which made me think of Psalm 23, where if you take a look, it doesn't say, yea, though he shows me a detour around the valley, or lo, I will give you a helicopter ride over it. No, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Look, when you feel caught and crushed and controlled by the circumstances of life, God is doing some of his most awesome deeds. Testing, refining, purifying, shaping you into the person that he created you to be.
I mean, sometimes, sometimes don't you get caught? Don't you find yourself trapped in a sin that just won't let you go? I mean, all sin ultimately is like an addiction. Now, it may be easier to see when it's ugly and socially unacceptable. But sometimes it's these seemingly harmless sins that trap me in a cycle of sourness. Sometimes I just feel mean. (laughs) And the bitterness comes out in words. Sometimes they're intentional and sometimes it's without even realizing it. Words that tear people down or tear myself down. Three times this week it happened. Where words came out of my mouth that wounded. Now it wasn't horrible, it was just careless. Sometimes it's not your sin, but the brokenness of the world around you that becomes this crushing burden. A broken marriage, a broken economy that cost you your job, broken health, whether that be yours or a loved one's that robs you of your hopes and your plans for the future. Caught in sin, crushed by the broken world, our very souls cringe when we feel out of control. I can't fix me. (laughs) I can't fix you. And I cannot fix the world. But there is a God right smack dab in the middle of it all, keeping, to quote verse 8, your soul among the living and not letting our feet slip. Jesus was caught. Jesus was crushed at the cross. Jesus surrendered his control of all things to keep my soul, your soul among the living, to not let my feet, your feet slip. Jesus rose from the dead and he lives and he reigns to all eternity. And when I look to him, my hope and my strength are renewed. The last line of our text says, you have, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that starts right now. Even in the less pleasant moments of your life. Although usually you cannot tell when you're in the middle of testing and refining. But you know what you can do? You can look to Jesus, you can look to his cross, you can look to his resurrection, and you can cry out to God, I don't know why you are allowing this in my life, and I don't like it, and I want you to take it away. But I know for certain that it is not to hurt me or to harm me. Help me endure and trust in you. And he will answer that prayer every time. Someone shared this with me this week. Let me read it to you. Sometimes I just want to stop. All this talk of COVID and protests and looting and brutality, I lose my way. 
become convinced that this new normal is real life. And then I met an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. And he seemed surprised when I said that the last year or so must have been especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago to not see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. And then he patted me on the hand and said, old man makes new friend. His words, this author concluded, collided with my worries, freeing me from the tether that I had been holding tight, and they float away, and I am left with a renewed spirit. I like that image a lot. My headline now reads, God's awesome deeds draw forth from us shouts of joy. Go write a headline. Amen? Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.